Hello and welcome to another episode of Stories from the Crisper Drawer. This is the September episode, the September Harvest episode, in fact, is what we're going to be calling this one. It's been a while since I've recorded one. I'm recording it at the night of September 22nd. The last episode I recorded, I recorded on August 16th, so it has been a very long time. Granted, my late August and September have been really busy with work, so haven't been able to get a lot of Crisper Drawer material ready to go and sort of delayed a bunch of other stuff that I really wanted to get on to uh, earlier. But here we are. <laughs> so I did, though because of how long it's been, I have I got a lot to talk about. At least I think I got a lot to talk about. I got a nice Google Documents here, and I found a bunch of stuff going on. And, uh, you know, there's, let's do a quick rundown of it. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about Ace Combat 7. Got to go see Andrew WK when he was here in town. Um, been talk about some video games, uh, the Calgary Olympic bid. Uh, we'll touch on that for a little bit. Some originally how I started off, um, uh, the next thing was a funny video on YouTube about an Australian admiral talking to a Senator and how I've rethought that entire thing and how there's now two videos, which I will link in the description of this episode on, um, on, on, uh, Podbean. Because I think that this is a very good um, example of how civilians need to be properly informed about uh, what their government is doing and what the military is buying and stuff like this. And and it's uh, we'll get into it as we go on. Also, uh, also congrats to Boeing for their KC-46 tanker finishing the final phase of testing. And it's going to be getting its FAA approval as a military aircraft which is pretty cool. And then GeForce. Uh, NVIDIA is releasing their new GeForce 2800 cards, and I'll do a quick touch on that. I don't have one, so it's I'm sort of just relaying information from people I've already gotten it from. All right, let's kick it off. Um, Ace Combat 7 looks pretty damn awesome, both from the uh, Gamescom in Germany, which was in Cologne this year, um, followed up by which we got a release date for, um, which is January uh, 18th, 2019. Uh, 2019. I should stop saying 20, blah, blah, blah. It's 2019. You know, that's still a ways away, and it looks really damn good. And we got to gotta also see the uh, VR campaign. It looks like uh, we've been hearing stuff like it's been three missions. It was five missions, then it was three missions. But the one cool thing is we found out that Mobius 1, the protagonist from Ace Combat uh, 4, Shattered Skies, is who you will play as in the VR campaign. I don't know if it's only going to be three missions or if that's three missions at launch and that there'll be more now that DLC exists and the ability to do it. Um, there are some pre-order bonuses going on that they released a, a few days ago. I think it was on the 19th. They gave out the information on the uh, VR, I mean on the pre-order bonuses for the... Yeah, it was on the 19th, they dropped it, I, maybe even on the 18th, but it's, uh, yeah, I think it was the 18th of September. Um, Xbox users, you get a backwards compatible version of Ace Combat 6, which means if you're on the Xbox One, you get to play Ace Combat 6 if you didn't have a 360. I have a 360, I'm hoping that that carries through. Might make the Xbox One purchase, I'm thinking about making a little more uh, palatable, I guess. And for Ace and for the PlayStation 4 people, you get a copy of a, well, basically an emulation of Ace Combat 5. 
um, which makes more sense as a game. I wish that the Xbox guys were getting it, and I wish the PlayStation guys were getting also uh, the ability to play Ace Combat 6. It would be cool to have them all on one platform. Uh, Ace Combat 5 uses the same uh, protagonist nation. So in Ace Combat 5, you play as a character um, from Osea, which is the protagonist military in Ace Combat 7 as well. So it makes sense. And in fact, um, it seems to be a similar, uh, sort of similar storyline, at least from what I can tell right now. This is still over 100 days away from the game being released and me not having played it and just watched footage of people playing it. The VR looks awesome, even if it is only three levels. It looks like they will be um, substantial levels, of more around the lengths of Ace Combat uh, 6's stuff, hopefully. Not... Um, like some of the shorter missions in Ace Combat um, 4 or um, or 5. 5 had a few really short missions where maybe you only shot at uh, 10 to 12 enemies. Granted, that was also the styling that they chose with Ace Combat 5. Ace Combat 5 had tons of missions, a huge roster of aircraft, so it is a fun game still to play. And we're getting a pretty damn big roster of aircraft for Ace Combat 7. Um, unfortunately, the, the PC guys kind of get shafted. There are some pre-order bonuses, like three different skins, some more aircraft, and um, some cool stuff that both the Xbox and the PlayStation gets, and the PC guy doesn't get it, at least at the launch. From what I can tell, it looks like all the stuff will either be DLC after the fact, or will be worth more, or will be added in later in patches. And hopefully the PC guy, um, which I might get as well as my PlayStation 4 version that I plan to get... Um, because it is Unreal 4, we're hoping that there's going to be mod support on the PC, or at least people will be able to make mods. And if so, that's amazing. Now, note that um, as amazing as Ace Combat 7 looks, it's coming out in 2019. Just over 100 days away from uh, the day of recording this podcast. I think it's 117 days. Uh, the only reason I do know that is because uh, I looked at the PlayStation app, which has the time to release. Uh, but uh, in May, we're supposed to be getting Project Wingman. Which, in all videos I've seen of it, looks just as amazing and will have PC VR support. And I think VR, uh, I think Project Wingman is probably going to be a better game on PC without the crazy uh, storylines that Ace Combat takes. Hopefully they complement each other. That's all I can hope for. Um, as I, So, that's kind of it I've got about Ace Combat 7. I mean... It comes out a week before the Resident Evil 2 remake uh, comes out, so, you know, those two weekends are kind of dead for me now. <laughs> yeah, the weekend of the 18th and the weekend of the 20... Uh, yeah, what's the weekend following up? Oh, it's only seven days, so the 25th, of course. Um, you know, those are important days. Also come around the fact that um, that in December we're getting the new... Um, new Smash Bros, which is kind of being a little bit of a controversy because it turns out one of the Pac-Man Smash Bros uh, amiibos will only be released on Best at Best Buy, and it's like, oh, come on, don't selectively release this stuff and make it hard for us to get it if we want it. I'm not saying we should buy amiibos for Smash, Smash Bros. Ultimate on Switch. I understand why people will, and I also understand why people will boycott that process and not want to be involved in it. And I just, I, I think that Unfortunately, the way that they've been carving up fighting games, I really hope that most of the characters on Unlimited are just unlocked through gameplay. 
maybe the amiibo speed up you're getting them but you can probably still get them through how like how in and uh smash bros 4 for the wii u and smash bros uh brawl melee and you know how they all had different ways of unlocking it it would be really nice if that was um you know at worst you just play a bunch of multiplayer rounds with your friends cool um so yeah there's that um i was going to talk a little bit about shenmue but i haven't gotten into it it came out right around the time i got super busy i played a little tiny bit of it um nowhere near on the pc version as far as i am on the dreamcast and i haven't played the dreamcast one in over a year so i can't really speak much it is a faithful reproduction there are mods that make it look better i haven't gotten them working because i haven't had time to spend time to figure it out but if you have a pc that you can get those working on fantastic go do it um but I'm, uh, the big thing on PC is the time I have been able to spend on it. I've been playing mostly uh, Battlefleet Gothic, which shocked me. But that was supposed to come out uh, this uh, this month, the second one. They pushed it all the way back to July of 2019, which is good. If it if the delay makes the game better than what it was supposed to be if it launched this month, hey, I'm not going to complain about that. It looks like the price isn't too bad on it right now, and you get a 25% off discount if you own the previous Battlefield Fleet Gothic on Steam, which is nice. Uh, loyalty like that makes people want to continue buying it. But playing Battlefield Gothic, it, I've it's just fun playing uh, the skirmish mode as Space Marines and as Imperial Navy guys. It's just fun. I didn't realize how deep that that even though it's can be repetitive, it's actually quite enjoyable seeing these big ships in the Warhammer universe fighting each other and it's rewarding for how long it takes to get somewhere it can sometimes feel like a grind and I mean it is but at the same time it's one of those games as a grind that you can't buy your way through so yeah whatever uh this is sort of a bit of a more local news uh, I'm gonna jump into Oh, before that, um, yeah, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I did go see Andrew WK. He was here in Calgary. That was an amazing show. I went with my older brother. That was just ridiculously fun to go see. Uh, it was September 11th. Um, the uh, the band that went before it, the... Uh, oh, gosh, I wish I knew. Um, I, I have it saved. The, uh, at least... The Johnny McCraig, uh, McCraig band uh, that opened for them was a very good fun thing to watch uh and listen to they were fun and andrew holy crap is his band amazing that was just a, an amazing thing to be part of and it was privileged to go and watch that and <laughs> experience the enthusiasts and the people who were just there to listen to his music and the people who wanted to mosh it was quite a quite an event to be at and you know he's been doing he's been partying for a long time and it was fun to be part of one of these amazing parties that he happened to have in Calgary. Just luck, and thanks to my luck that my brother spotted those tickets, and we went and got them. It was great. Uh, some more local news. This one's a little less fun and a little more annoying. So Calgary has been trying to bid for the, I think it's the, 20, the, 2020, the 2026 Olympics. And I'm really, really annoyed that it looks like that Calgary might... It just makes me mad. There's only a few places really bidding on it right now. I think it's the 2026. Um, so, yeah, here are the cities that are currently taking place on it. And there's only four left. Calgary is still going for it. Why? Uh, there's a city in Turkey going for it, which I cannot pronounce the name. 
Azurum, I think. Um, if I butchered that, I'm sorry for anybody who knows how to properly pronounce it or is from there. I, uh, no, no ill will towards you guys. Um, Stockholm, Sweden is going for it, and uh, Milan in, and another, I guess Milan in a district in Italy are also going for it. Uh, Japan has dropped out, Scion, Sweden dropped out, uh, Scion, Switzerland dropped out, actually, and uh, Graz, um, Austri Austria also dropped out. Uh, all of these have been withdrawing uh, this year. And uh, it's supposed to be soon that we're finding out. So, like, Japan withdrew this month. I don't want Calgary to win on the grounds of it's going to be extremely expensive here. We will lose a lot of money. The federal government and the provincial government will have to definitely put a cast injection into it. it. It just, it... Like, we're going to have a plebiscite on November 13th, but it's going to cost a lot of money. Like, people are saying it's going to cost $5.2 billion, um, which it's going to cost more than that. And the last Olympics that made money truly was the, f was the um, Olympics in LA in 1980. I think it was 1982 or something like that. It, it was a long time ago. If we haven't made, there has been no Olympics since then that has actually made profit. Utah broke even, but that was when they did some fancy bookkeeping and they were able to wipe out some other stuff and they were able to convince the IOC to give more of the uh, advertisements to Utah and Salt Lake versus how they now have it, which they own the 70% of the video streaming rights and the advertisements from video systems, even though they don't provide a lot of that. The IOC is almost a criminal organization, in my opinion, at this point. They oversee these judge panels that seem to have a ridiculous level of corruption. It takes a long time for them to actually solve it. And when they actually have true evidence that nations or teams are doing it, they, they ban the nation, but then they allow the team to compete, and then eventually they get pressured because they need the money. It's like, if you guys are all about money, you're obviously not trustworthy enough to run these Olympics, so why should we allow you to run the Olympics? That's just my opinion going forward. I, like... These Olympic things are supposed to bring the world together. And under that uh, view, I, I wish that these games happened, but I wish they weren't just these ex extremely expensive spectacles that require government massive intervention in these projects because they just cost obscene amount of money, and they, uh, they generally leave the c places worse off. Sure, it's a short boost in tourism, but a lot of these facilities are eventually scrapped or shut down or turned into nothing because they're, they're, you have a surplus of them. Like You can argue building three or four more um, NHL-grade hockey rinks or near NHL-grade hockey rinks in Calgary would be great, but what happens when they become too expensive for community associations and sports leagues for mid-tier, you know, adult or... or uh, or, you know, teenager and high school and, you know, those tiers of sports that can't afford to do it. Do they just crumble? That seems to happen in most other places. Or they get dismantled or they get abandoned. And this being the first world, that's harder to get away with. But it's still just absolutely amazing. Um, and we spent tons of money on it before we even, like, y you know, we, we still, we've spent tons of money on this group that is accountable to nobody in the long run. 
they could they could completely spend and say we're gonna win and then screw up the submission, lose it like and the IFC says like sorry you screwed up by a day and we still wouldn't we'd have to pay all these guys off who did it. And it's just gonna cause lots of money and problems and you know we need a, to do it we're gonna need a new facility to host um. You know, the cell dome isn't going to be good enough. We're going to need another facility. So either the Victoria Project or the other project uh, down by the pump house would have to go forward. The Calgary uh, like field house, one of those two would have to go forward. This would give the government arguments to pay for it versus ha- having those two projects be privately funded by the Calgary Flames and the Sports Authority or uh, the Sports Corporation here in Calgary. And and that's how they would probably get around it. Do we have enough time to do it? Even we'd have eight years to construct and build the stuff. And I, yeah, you can build the stadium in about three years if it's done well. But then you have to build the infrastructure around it and get all that. And our C train system, which is our light rail above ground system, is not perfect. Um, our bus system isn't amazing, and it would logically have to be placed easily access to that because of tourism. And most of the tourist industries here in Calgary. Um, would keep some of the money here, but most, but all the hotels are international. Besides from wages, uh, any excess is going to be taken by these international corporations and moved out. Sure, uh, the only hope is is that uh, Airbnb stuff happens in Canada. Uh, that Airbnb is not banned in in Calgary, and that a lot of Calgary people have spare space to rent, which right now doesn't really exist. And Maybe in eight years there will be, but has space to rent on Airbnb, and these people are sticking around, and the money's going to the local citizens' hands' pockets. But I also see that the hotel commissions and hotel groups are going to fight that, saying that that's going to hurt their profit line, and why would they reinvest? And uh, it just—it's a mess. I don't like the idea of the Olympics being hosted by Calgary. And to be honest, for the other three cities, I don't like the idea of them hosting it either and having corruption and mass expenditures on money for things that will be very temporary. I don't want any government screwing around their citizens for these this very short prestige, which then completely disappears after only a short period of time. So that's my thought on the Olympics. It, it, it's just it's bullshit. I hate it. Why are we effing doing it? Why the fuck are we trying to take on these Olympics? And people who say, oh, well, it brings prestige and national and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, maybe the 1980 Olympics helped us out of a depression, but that was a depression that was much different than today. And there's a lot of things that can happen. Also, those guys who did the 80 Olympics stayed accountable to us. We still lost money, but there's at least some accountability. The guys who are doing it now, they're going to be gone. And they're not going to give a crap when it happens. They're not going to give a shit at the end of this all. So it, it's ridiculously stupid, and I just, I'm not, just a waste of money. The city already has enough problems. The province already is wasting enough money. We've had a huge, um, with our pseudo-socialist um, New Democrat Party uh, provincial government that has wasted tons of money in all these green initiatives that were supposed to get us a pipeline, which then turned out it didn't get us a pipeline. The federal government had to buy the, the old pipeline so the new pipeline could go, and the federal government then got blocked buying the new pipeline. Uh, I'm ranting, but, you know, politicians versus political scientists. Political scientists want to give you the full answer. Politicians can't give you the answer because if they do, you won't vote for them. So I'm not happy about any of that. 
and you know, if we we got like I don't know what the debt is in Alberta right now. It's ridiculously large. Um, we used to have this very nice heritage fund, and now that's completely gone. And now they want to bring in a provincial sales tax to help build that back up. It's like you're gonna straddle. You want to take these ridiculously expensive investments and tax the regular people for it, versus charging the people who actually benefit from it more. If the IOC wants to host an Olympics in a city, they should front a ridiculous amount of the money. They can do it. If they're making 70% on, on, on the advertising for it, for TV and internet and radio and all other medias besides from uh, watching in person, they can totally put up a ton of freaking cash. Maybe they're not a billion-dollar organization. Like, what are they? What is the International Olympic Committee uh, worth? Like, it's... Uh, let's see what it is, what they claim it is, net worth. Uh, $6 billion. They say, I highly doubt it's that high, but it's probably ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> the International Olympic Committee. Uh, let's see what they say. It's, um, oh, it's a Swiss non-private, non-government organization. <laughs> Yeah, do we have finances? Because it would be really nice to have freaking finances on these guys because these guys are just ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's higher than that now. I know that. But it's just it's ridiculous. And, of course, they have all these other national committees and these regional committees that don't have to do it. It's like, just oh, I don't like them at all. I mean, this is a non-governmental um, private organization. It seems to me that it, its goal is to fleece the communities and do these major sports events that, that you know, hurrah, big world, like, oh, you have your patriotism back and look at the world and, like, we're, we're happy for our country because we won a bunch of gold medals. And, you, you know, you go to places like Brazil, you go to Sochi, you go to, um, to, the Korea, to where they did it in Korea, um, which recently south korea specifically where they now have places that are abandoned or like are are too expensive for the local municipalities to run so they're tearing them down i don't know i don't know i just i i'm i'm aghast that this is a common thing going on and i'm just readjusting my position to get my mic here so going on about that and wasting money and a topic that I originally said was funny, but the longer I thought about it, the more I've actually watched these video, these two videos, how it really shows the requirements of a um, of a society to understand what they're actually getting involved in. So originally, it was this funny video about this um, Australian Navy admiral uh, schooling a senator on she she had the like um, this idea of the propulsion system for a. Um, that it was the type of submarine they were going to buy, and they're buying diesel-electric submarines that are designed um, by the French, um, based on the French nuclear submarine design that's currently happening. Now, th these videos, let me preface, are about a year old. So things have probably changed since then, but they're actually really good illustrators of civilians either having the correct knowledge or, being or having the incorrect knowledge or not knowing um, the terms that are proper to use. So in her, she talks about this uh, jet pump submarine and thinking that that's the propulsion, that's how the s submarine works, and thinking it can only stay underwater for 20 minutes. And the 
the um, admiral who is talking with her, like she brings down diesel electric submarines, and he really he really gives it to her at one point. He's like, she's like, so we are planning to buy, and he says, no, we. Senator, we are we are buying diesel electric submarines, and trust me, they can stay underwater for more than twenty minutes. Which then she asked, "How long can they stay under?" And he says, "I'm not going to give you the mission profile. That's classified. I'm not saying that here." And she tries to get declassified, and the, and some of the other people involved in that Senate committee, uh, maybe even the chairman, says like, "No, that's not going to be released." But he talks about why it's a good program and why these are not nuclear submarines. They'll be able to stay underwater for a good period of time, which he can't, won't disclose. But it shows how she was asking questions that actually harmed the process because she didn't know what she was asking for. So she has misinformed, which meant her, which meant her utility to the Australian people to know what their Navy was spending money on, their Defense Department was spending money on. Was it the right thing or not? She she wasn't asking the right questions to bring this around, and I don't know if I to blame the senator or to blame her staff. If um, she was overwhelmed with other jobs, like there's many th- reasons why this could have happened. I'm not gonna say it's malice on her part or she was ignorant purposefully. It, maybe she was reading something and thought that was the correct terms to use. And maybe that people on her staff were also like not as well informed on that uh, platform or the knowledge of the submarine as they should have been. Maybe she was rushed into this committee. Maybe she's got four other jobs, four other committees. Like I, I don't know. I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt here. But it showed that uh, with her not having the correct knowledge base or the good enough knowledge base, she wasted her time. She wasted the Admiral's time. She wasted the committee's time. And we learned that the video just shows that she, she's uninformed, and unfortunately, it makes her look like a fool, and I don't think she is. Uh, but I will post the video, um, the long video in the description below uh, on Podbean, which takes me to another one. A link. Um, this one was hosted by the uh, Australian Green Party uh, on their YouTube channel, but was actually an. Ex- this was a. Um, this is the exact opposite. This is actually a very good discussion uh, between the Australian Air Force. Air Force and this senator who's talking about the F-35 and how they've come and they're being trained on it and how there's going to have to be helmet changes and knowledge and um, a concern about a new radar that China's building that the uh, if the Air Force uh, pilots are saying, like, it's always going to be this game of one-upmanship, uh, whether it's as capable as or not is a different thing. He asks extremely good questions. And he was concerned both about, like, is this an, this is an expensive project? Is it A, worth it? now or is it going to be worth it over its lifetime you can't tell me how expensive it's going to be to run which nobody really knows how long the f-35 is going to stay in the air is it going to be a 30-year fighter jet or is it going to be a 20-year i mean at the expense you're really hoping it's going to be 30 to 40 years but technology changes so much it may not be drones may completely make it obsolete in 10 to 15 years who knows who knows what happens with this technology so he's asking these right questions like we're going to spend all this money redeveloping our air force based on this aircraft which is stealth which is good it's a different type of stealth material which requires less um theoretically less maintenance than the f-22 stealth um material which is positive, which means it gets more rugged and more able to be deployed in various situations, and that the uh, it, it doesn't it's not just a fighter jet; it almost becomes a micro AWACS because of the amount of data it can transfer. It's a very important piece of the kill chain in military technology. Now, can China and various other nations make a fighter that could compete against it in a dogfight one to one? 
Oh yeah, that's that's definitely possible. Uh, the F thirty five is a great fighter aircraft or compromises. They're either you either um, you have an amazing aircraft, you've got amazing reliability, or you have it for an amazing price. And the F thirty five is like not a, an amazing price. It's still an expensive program. But it's not F-22. At least it was an F-22 price. It's probably climbed a bit, but it is supposed to go down to about, um, I said somewhere between 80 million. uh, And I don't know if that was U.S. dollars or Australian dollars. I'm going to assume that they were talking in uh, U.S. currency, that they say, like, each unit's going to be 80 million. And I think the F-22 was something like 120 million. So 40 million less an aircraft, which means that for every... uh, you know, for every two F-22s you're buying, you're actually buying three F-35s. So you are getting, a, at least if that's the U.S. dollar uh, claim that the uh, Australians are making. If it's Australian money, that's even better, because Australian money isn't worth as much as the U.S. dollar. Um, but it does show that there is a major, um, that this senator and, and his team pr- properly sought out questions, looked for surveys, looked for studies that were going on, read the right articles, brought them up, um, the staff of the Air Force were conservative in how they were responding to them. This is a program. This is an appropriation program, so they do want to buy these aircraft. And what? Uh, what back then, back when the, these were filmed, eleven months, ago, eleven to a months ago to a year ago. So, uh, no October, or September, twenty seventeen, two thousand seventeen. Sorry, I gotta correct myself on that. These, um, there was not a lot of fifth-generation technology aircraft coming out in the time. You pretty much had um, the four point five, the uh, four point five and four-generation fighter jets that were still being, de- that were still developed, uh, still being produced, um, and you pretty much only had in the Western world you had Lockheed, Keeds F twenty-two, and you had Lockheed's um, F thirty-five. That was about it. You didn't have Boeing. You didn't. Boeing uh, prospects haven't really changed that much, and they're trying to make a new um, F-15 um, to compete or make it more like a 4.5 generation F-15 that's going to be cheaper. But it brings in the question if the enemies are getting uh, technology that can hunt down um, that makes the F-22 worth the value proposition because it's stealth and it's able to command more, is the F-22 really worth the risk if you're going to have, if the enemies are going to have air defense systems that can defeat the F-22? F-15, and the only F-22 can defeat it. We'll see what happens. Like, thankfully, no frontline military has gone up against another frontline military. I mean, like, no cl- cl- tier one military like the United States has faced off against Russia or China in direct conflict. So that, that question, that fear exists, but we've never actually seen it tested, which is kind of good for the defense agencies because then they get to say, like, well, if it does happen, what if? If it turns out that the Russians claim about the S-300 and S-400 anti-air missile systems that they have, it turns out their radar is absolutely shit, and they can't, even with that that super-fast missile that they have, they can't hit an F-15? Then an F-22, which is even smaller and harder to hit, is amazing. An F-15 can still be useful. But it means that there's not not as many militaries willing to risk the money on a on a stealth fighter jet if they know that the that even though the enemy can see them on radar, they can't engage them because their weapons suck. Unfortunately, the last big uh, surface air missile kill that we have on record uh, by a Russian anti air missile system was Malaysian Flight 17. 
and you know it's way easier to shoot down a freaking uh you know it's way easier to shoot down a jetliner a boeing triple seven versus shooting down an f-22 that has threat sensors that will be able to a see that missile coming deploy flares um potentially even have IR jamming systems eventually put into it, maybe, and even radar and ECM jamming systems that could screw the missile up. We don't know what these things are going to have. And, it, you know, we need the people, uh, we need civilians in positions of power over their militaries that are willing to ask these questions, both in a public forum that where they're not divulging classified information and in private forum where classified information can be shared to have the confidence on it. Now, I know that the idea of the private forum with classified information is like you. If you're a senator or, you know, a representative or somebody like that in government who's observing that, there's usually very little data outside of what you've been given by the military who's providing it and the vendor who's making it. Do you think that, um, and, and this is against the military industrial complex, uh, congressional complex, according to uh, some of the writings that uh, Eisenhower had. Do you really think those organizations are going to go out of their way? And I, I I don't mean this maliciously, but if you're selling a product, you're not going to tell your downsides about it. You're not going to sell your con you're not going to tell your cons. And you're probably not going to test your aircraft for these flaws as often as you would be if it was a competitor's product. So like, you know, Lockheed would probably look at the uh, Boeing's offering for the Joint Strike Fire Program, the X-32, and say like, that's a weird plane. It may not be valuable or blah, blah, blah. Or it's like, here's radar cross-sections problems of us. Here's our benefits of that and compare that. Or maybe it's the ease of manufacturing or the, there's part sharing and all this other thing. But they're not going to go and buy a Russian missile system and test it and be like, because Russia's probably, A, not going to sell it to them. But even if they were to get their hands on it, they're probably not going to be able to, they're probably not going to test it, find out there's a flaw and not, and either not spend a lot of money trying to fix it or hide it. Um, though we probably could find out about the S-300 missiles and I, I don't know about the S-400 missiles because I don't know if, the, if uh, the country Ukraine ever had S-400 missiles, but I know they have S-300s. So it might be possible that the Americans using that technology were able to find that out. So who knows? Of course, that's classified information and nobody really knows, besides some of the people who do know and... If they do know, they're happy about it. If they don't, if they think it's flawed, they're probably working on it in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it's not a hardware fix. Maybe it's a software thing. Maybe they could put it in a uh, digital jamming system or maybe using um, location systems. They'll be able to find out where these radar arrays are and jam them electronically or hack into them remotely and, and deactivate them. Who knows what the future is? Like All I know is that cyberspace is going to be another battle frontier in the future and... and Analog sensors and even these radar arrays will have to be isolated from the internet or outside communication systems to make them be invulnerable. And even then, can they be? Who knows? Um, so yeah, uh, that's that about the uh, stuff. I will post both the videos in the description. Um, as I said, this originally started off with me saying like, "Oh, this is funny." The Admiral screwing it, and the more I thought about it, the more it's like. You really need to know, of, if you were in a position of that power that was discussing buying these aircraft or buying these submarines or buying naval ships or whatever the heck, you probably really have to ask the question, is it worth it? Which is interesting to me, because I, I guess I could t extrapolate from what um, Australia is doing, because 
they are a smaller country. They've got a lot. They've smaller country in the United States. They do have a less military oriented budget system. They don't have as much money they can spend on it. And they really want this new submarine. They really want these new aircraft because it's like, well, we've got okay stuff now, but we are in the Pacific and we may have to face against future aggressors, um, specifically China. Highly unlikely we're going to see a resurgence of Russia. But who knows what India decides to do if India is going to be a nice, um, you know, friend of the Commonwealth nations and NATO and stuff like that. Or is India going to want to become its own superpower and be a a dominant force? Who knows what that's going to be? And they're more, they're closer in engagement range than the United States and Canada is. They have to cross the entire, they have to cross the entire, the entire Pacific. Jeez, where is my tongue today? I need to take an axe to it. Oh, that was just terrible. I'm so sorry about that. But their their proximity to potential world threats is much greater. They also have North Korea, which they have to contend with. They're closer to Iran, technically. It, it makes sense that they want better technology and better capabilities. As opposed to the United States, where the uh, Senate and the Congress spend throw money at the U.S. government and say, like, oh, we got to keep these open, we got to keep these open. The, the U.S. Defense, defense Department's like, why are we buying that? We don't need that. Why did why did you we told you we only need ten of them. Why are you buying four hundred? But then you also have the US military spending ridiculous amounts of money researching a new firearm, uh, a new bullet uh, to replace the M4 M16 series, which they've been doing since the freaking eighties, and they've never done it. Most of the time they've been picking either guns that have the ability like um the advanced infantry weapons, which were either shooting flache or multiple projectiles at the same time to have higher hit probability. Then they spent the time looking at more reliability versus the improved M4, which they came off finding out that the improved M4 was the biggest loser in that category and that every other gun can, they competed against it, including the SCAR, the H&K uh, 416 series, and then the H&K... Um, uh, it was like there was only four guns that were actually in that competition. Um, there was uh, oh geez, let me look that up. But I know there was the Scar Light that was um, like the second place finisher. There was the H and K XM8 was brought back out and won that competition. Uh, uh, just this is old. I know this is like. I, I know it was very old. Like, it was just ridiculous how long it, they've been doing this. The um, Just h- how long they've been trying to change it out and get uh, get other firearms in it. Uh, so, you know, they've, they've, <laughs> they've done these ridiculous competitions to replace it. Um, yeah, let's see. So, uh, oh, yeah. So the uh, 2013 Individual Carbine, let's see, they had the... Barrett made their uh, Rec. Se- 7, which could use 5.56 or 6.8 Remington. Uh, Beretta's AR-116. Uh, like, I want to see how this... Because th- we actually have the evidence of... Um, of, uh, of, 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 of... Like, it turned out... I I've, There used to be a response that said that the... Uh, the best guns were... Uh, so... They had an, a, um, yeah, so they had the SCAR, they had the uh, HK416, they had the ACR um, by Remington. What's this? Bear Elite um, by Adcor. I don't know what that is. 
looks like a weapon based on an AR-15 platform. You have the Breda, and then you have the Colt uh, Advanced AR, uh, Advanced M16 family. But it looked like, like um, from what I remember reading at one point, um, it was like the XM8 absolutely destroyed everybody. It was just, it was ridiculous. Like, the XM8 had, between failures, it was a, um, it was a very expensive program, I know that much, and it, it, it turns out it was pretty much just uh, a candidate of this design. Um, the XM8, I think, won that with, like, a ridiculous amount of uh, shots between failures, followed up by, it was either the 416 or the SCAR. I think the SCAR had it, and then the 416 was next, and then, all the other guns, and the uh, and even Colt's advanced M4 uh, was uh, considerably better than the M4 that the U.S. military was using at that time when they did the test in 2013. But Project ran nowhere. Now they're they just completed a new um, uh, um, compact semi-automatic sniper system, which the uh, HNK 417 combined with its G28 guys from Germany um, won, and that's um, I mean. 7.62 caliber rifle, but it's more of a precision rifle. Um, where there are better calibers out there now for precision. But we know that uh, from various statistics, the military still likes 5.56. It's a light recoiling bullet, but depending on who it's hitting, it's not having the terminal effect of putting them down. It takes multiple shots. Now, the argument is, is do you want a light recoiling rifle that can carry 30 rounds? Do you don't want a heavy recoiling rifle that you can carry 20 rounds in? But I guess that becomes different. It's like, well, if I take three rounds from my 5.56, and for your, you know, whatever the magic uh, bullet that isn't 7.62 is, if it turns out that you know, you only get to carry 20 rounds in the magazine at the same weight, but it only takes one to pr- take them down, you're like, well, I, I can engage twice as many aggressors effectively. And that, granted, that also depends on how good uh, other nations' body armor is. They were when I was reading about this. They were talking about how Russia's new body armor can apparently stop the new 855A2 ball and um, you know armor penetrating ammunition. I don't know about that. I don't test body armor. I don't have access to body armor to test. Russia does like making good body armor, but we'll see. They also um, showed off like these new like. Soldier like tanks that guy like these troops wear this body this power armor that Russia's building, but will that actually be a thing for a while? Like all these amazing technologies are going insane. Like uh, Russia was building the um, T fourteen uh, Eret tank, and now apparently it's too expensive for them to launch as well as like put into full scale production. In fact, they're probably looking at building a new generation of the. Um, based on the T90 frame, like an upgrade version of the T90 frame with a different gun, and not looking at all this remote technology, but looking at a much more manual system like the T90 is compared to the T14 to replace it or to supplement the T14. Like the T14 will be like one tank in a platoon, and then there'll be three other of these supplementary tanks backed up by T90s. That's at least what I've heard. Granted, Kalashnikov's making some new uh, good firearms. But it's also the same with the the, um, the Russian defense industry, which the U.S. always puts up as, like, they're the biggest threat. I mean, technically they are, because they do have the most advanced technology, but they seem to, they can't field it as they used to. Like, when they were the Soviet Union, they had, 
so many nations and so many factories, and they were willing to go into bankruptcy to do so, and that's what destroyed the Soviet Union. And Russia's never really recovered from that financial collapse. It's sort of been like it's not the it doesn't have the financial strength to make this massive army like it used to have, and it acts like it does. So they uh, they can only spend their money in certain areas. Like they've got all these like th- they like the Tu one sixty um, blackjack bombers, but they're very expensive to fly and they're very big and they have limited usefulness. So they'd rather keep their Tu uh, ninety uh, ninety five bears flying because it's a much better aircraft. Uh, it's much more reliable and they have much more combat experience. And probably well, in combat experience, they they probably do have some combat experience with it, but it's probably just more historical life in use and then you go to um go to their air force it's like they're buying these nice um sequoia and mig based fighters like the mig 35 which is an upgrade version of the mig 29 they've got these sequoia su-30s and su-35s that they're developing but they spend a lot of money on the um pack fat-50s which is i think um now considered the sequoia su-57 if i want to if the nomenclature is correct but it looks like now that's becoming a, another uh, tech demonstrator. That it, it it's it's ridiculously um, the, the, apparently it's just ridiculously too expensive to actually make it into full on uh, full on use. Like it's just too expensive right now. Um, as far as we know, they have twelve aircraft. Um, but we 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 don't know much beyond that. They said that they weren't um, that they were a very expensive aircraft for them to make, and that um, the deal with India that was supposed to be the big thing that was going to make uh, make them continue past twelve aircraft. It doesn't look like it's going to happen now. Uh, yeah, where where is it? Um, uh, hmm. there was something I was reading about, um, but it does look like, uh, you know, that, that, it, I, I, I don't know. The, the evidence seemed to se- tell me the last time I take, took a look at it at Russia was not very, um, very, very happy, uh, in the long run with what was going on with the, uh, thing um so yeah in july uh let's take a look they were talking um national interest magazine um like um you know they've they've got these new things and then russia's also building new weapon systems at the same time um but they they don't seem to be able to produce. Um, granted, the U.S. is also having a hard time producing its own number. But imagine if if your air force is comprised of twelve stealth fighters. Now, that sucks if that's your entire air force. You know, granted, they have a ridiculous amount of supply of MiG twenty ones, MiG twenty fives, MiG twenty nines, SU twenty fives, and SU twenty sevens. And uh, is there an SU twenty nine? I don't know if the SU ever. If they ever made a Sequoia 29, or I think it does exist, but, um, oh yeah, that's a, uh, no, uh, that's an aerobatic, acrobatic, uh, aircraft, but you see, they, they have all these, um, 
amazing fighters. They've got all the old reserve ones that were built in the 80s and even some at the uh, very end of the 70s that are still in reserve, and they've got the newer generations that have been upgraded. But they seem to have approached the... They're approaching it the same way the U.S. Air Force is approaching the F-22. It's like, we'll make like a few squadrons of F-22s, and they'll be supplemented by fourth-generation fighters for now. Obviously, like eventually the F-22 is going to have to be supplemented by a newer aircraft, or will have to be replaced. The F-35 is probably going to be its biggest supplement in the future. But there's going to have to be more development beyond this. And does Russia have the financial capacity to do that compared to the United States? And does the United States even have the financial capacity? Things to look out for in the future. I don't know. But speaking of stuff um, that is going on, we've been talking about all these fancy aircraft that's coming on. Let's talk about an airplane the U.S. Air Force desperately needs. And one that is finally coming fully online after a few years of development, some controversy in the contracting originally back, uh, going back into the early 2000s when there was a competition. The, uh, the Boeing KC-46 tanker has passed its final test with the FAA. So now it can be classified as a military aircraft and sold to the U.S. government um, as a tanker. Which is great because it's, it's going to replace the desperately aging um, KC-135 tankers, which are based on the the Boeing 707 platform. And because it's based on the Boeing 767 platform, which there are tons of aircraft around that have moderate use, there's a ridiculous ton of um, of parts lying around for this aircraft, um, for airframe stuff and engines. Uh, they can change the engines out with newer, uh, you know, engines that they're putting on the 707, the 777, and potentially even the 787 in the future, because the uh, 767 is a larger aircraft. Uh, it's a larger frame than the uh, 757 and the 707. And eventually their plan is to also replace the um, less aging, but uh, definitely stressed uh, KC-10 series. They don't carry as much as the KC-10, but they are more efficient than the KC-10, and they're definitely better than the uh, KC-135s. And this is a plane the U.S. Air Force desperately needs. They don't they need nice fighter jets, but they don't need them as desperately as, like, can we keep our Air Force in the sky? Like, the KC-135s were supposed to s sort of start retirement originally after the Cold War um, in the early 2000s, but then 9-11 happened and the war in Afghanistan, and then followed by the war in Iraq and the global war on terror. They've had a lot more work than they needed. They were originally supposed to be starting phased out, and the KC-10 fleet would handle it. And now they've both been overstressed, and finally a new aircraft is about to finish it. Now, granted that, that um, the, the competition that got this, there was some fights and controversies because some gave prices that were absolutely unbelievable, and then it turns out that they were manipulating their prices and not telling the truth. Who knows if this is also going to be the same thing in the long run with the KC-40 uh, line, 46 line. Hopefully not. Hopefully, that like most of the bugs been ironed out of this thing. It's not going to suddenly add an extra billion dollars over its lifetime. But the U.S. Air Force needs tankers, and so does so it need to supply it with its allies. Like, um, you know, uh, you know, and eventually they're going to have to start looking at new uh, replacements for the E3 Century AWACS planes, which are also based on the 707s. So they're probably going to start looking into using either old 57, 757s or 7-fin 67s as well. So, you know, that's cool. And then uh, let's go into our final topic tonight. 
uh, GeForce has finally released, uh, NVIDIA GeForce has released their, or is about to release their 20, uh, their 2080 series of graphics cards. So they got the 2060, 2080, 2070, and 2080 Ti, which they're releasing the 2080 and 2080 Ti at the same time. And they're called the RTX. They're not the G, they're uh, not GTX. They're RTX now because they're dealing with this new technology called ray tracing. Now, ray tracing, when done right with the right schematics and these right games, are apparently supposed to be a much better at video load and putting all this amazing stuff on and with... Um, NVIDIA's calculations and coding systems they put in, apparently this thing will not be... Like, I will make games run smoother. Because, it, like, it'll be the camera that sees finding out what's actually going on, not pre-rendered and hoping the camera sees it and then upgrading it or downgrading it. So it's this cool technology. Um, I, I heard about this originally from my brother who got to go to this big um, graphics design conference... Uh, in Vancouver, where they were, um, NVIDIA was the keynote speaker about this, and then they've also discussed it at E3 and at the games convention that was they were the first one at, at Gamescom in uh, in Cologne. But now we're finally getting these cards out, and um, Linus Tech Tips, which is a uh, media channel um, based on the Linus Media Group, uh, based out of Vancouver, um, they got their hands on these uh, graphics cards. Now, they are better than the uh, 1080 and 1080 Ti models for what they do, but is the price worth it right now? And they're saying, like, well, <sighs> sort of. But it's not a... But they, Linus even admitted, like, we can't do a full review on it because no games use ray tracing right now. There's only two that were in the pipeline that they knew about uh, that were had confirmed release dates. Um, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, which doesn't have ray tracing yet. It's going to be in a post-patch which requires NVIDIA to get to update the driver that has it coded into the NVIDIA platform. So if you have it and you don't have the NVIDIA driver, you're not going to benefit from the ray tracing, and games that don't use NVIDIA's uh, ray tracing stuff will not benefit from it. So it's sort of like, ugh. There's going to be this set number of games. Now, it is better in general uh, with the CUDA course, stuff like that. It is better than the 1080 and 1080 Ti, which is good. So worth the price right now. And also, from what uh, they said, it turns out it's actually a pretty good card for streamers, too. You're no longer making that choice of good frame rate and good streaming. Like, this card will make streaming nice for th those guys who want to do it. Like it's, And it does give this um, cool technology when it comes to if you're a workstation guy who's working on various, um, various 3D applications. So so there is some good stuff to it. Is it worth the price right now? Well, Linus said, like, until we have ray tracing games to test this on, multiple ones, we, they, they don't know. They were supposed to have a developer on who was making ray tracing, but they canceled and they never really gave him a reason. And all Linus could think of is, does NVIDIA have, like, one hell of a non-disclosure agreement on ray tracing technology right now for their games? Is it maybe, like, a marketing ploy not as good? I... We can only spe speculate until this uh, until these come out and actually test them against uh, non-ray tracing units. Who knows? And I, I was considering getting a new video card soon, but I'm not buying these guys. Hopefully they'll not... I mean, I don't know if the 1080 is still worth its price. Uh, I, I still think that's high for me. But 
maybe in a year when there's a few ray tracing games out and the the twenty eight the twenty eighty and the twenty seventy and the twenty sixty series uh drop down in price and the um the two thousand um the twenty hundred or the two thousand series of new graphics cards by Nvidia when they start coming down in price and start becoming logically priced again. Um and which they are sort of doing because the the, uh, the crypto rush has sort of slowed down a little bit right now, but who knows what's going to be uh, next in this line? And I I just uh, I gotta say I'm not super enthusiastic about enthusiastic about it. I know these things are like Nvidia is the king of the town and well the king of the castle and like there are big shots in this and AMD doesn't really have much competition that they can put up against this guy. But the fear is, is NVIDIA making more of a marketing hype versus an actual product type? I hope not in the long run. But we'll we'll have to see. Like, right now, we don't know. And if um, the guys at Linus have more going forward and they're able to say, like, hey, we finally have ray tracing games here. We're finally able to talk to NVIDIA. Is it worth it? Cool. Right now, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm just relaying information from what they told me, from what I gleaned from from Linus and the video that they showed, and also from their uh, their uh, podcast episode they did right after that Vancouver show. I'm not feeling super enthusiastic about this card yet. Jeez, my tongue has been a piece of shit this night, hasn't it? But that's really all I can talk about today. Um... Going forward, going forward with the uh, cons- with the crisper drawer. I don't know. We're almost in October. In fact, there will not be another episode this month. There's no time for it uh, with my schedule right now. So the next episode will be either the first or second week of October. So there is a bit of a slowdown here. I did want to try to get some more episodes out. Um, I have not started working on my big idea episode or series yet. Mostly on the things of I've just, you know, you get busy, you you put these plans out, and then you then you start screwing up. But let's bring about uh, two plans I definitely do have going in October. I have to beat Resident Evil Seven, and I have to beat Eternal Darkness. Sandy's requiem on the GameCube. Uh, I just you know I got to do it. I I have to say I've beaten every single Resident Evil game in my inventory that I own, and frankly, right now. I haven't. Resident Evil 7 is the only game in my Resident Evil inventory I have not beaten. I've beaten all of them that I own, which is 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and Code Veronica X. And uh, I guess you could consider I've beaten Outbreak 1 and 2 and Dead Aim. Um, those are side series, so I don't really count them as much. I mean, Code Veronica X is sort of a side game as well. Um, but... Um, yeah, I, I beat Dead Aim. I'd, I wouldn't say, uh, y- you know, I've beaten the single-player components of Outbreak, considering that they're PlayStation 2 games, and they can't be used anymore on the uh, PlayStation Network. It's just gone. And I wish I had a PlayStation hard drive, because those games take forever to load. Um, but obviously, they're not worth uh, going forward on, because I can't, uh, can't afford to do them. Um... Did I talk about uh, I'm fairly certain in an earlier podcast I talked about how I have played all three of the uh, Ace Combat games for the Holy Trinity, I guess you would call it, for um, on the uh, 
on the PlayStation um, 2, uh, 4, 5, and 0. Those are still fun games, and I've really come to appreciate the soundtracks for all of them after the fact. Like, Get your hands on them if you can, legally. If there's places you can buy them, buy them there. If you can't legally buy them, well, I'm not advocating piracy. I'd rather give money back to the uh, team who made those soundtracks. They're quite, they're quite awesome. And I'm hoping that Ace Combat 7 has the amazing one, too. Uh, caveat going forward also, um, Ace Combat 7 is coming out. It does look great, as I said. Um, I am not advocating pre-ordering this. There are some pre-order bonuses that people may want to take advantage of. However, at the same time, if people don't want to pre-order, don't pre-order. If you, if you get to the point of like, I don't want to pre-order it, I'm not going to pre If you have any doubts about your desire of this game, don't take the risk pre-ordering it. And of course, I don't know how many people who listen to this podcast are gonna, are pre-order guys or not. Uh, but yeah, there's there's that going forward. And with digital downloads of games now, um, really, you shouldn't be pre-ordering this stuff. And I wish the pre-order culture, where you get like, oh, all these special things if you pre-order it. Like, I hate that. I mean, I'll, I'll say this much. Playing, if you have never played Ace Combat 6 or 5, and you're getting them as pre-order bonuses, like, that's a $40 game. Uh, both of them are worth $40 in my book. So, if Ace Combat 7 holds up to them, that's worth the price. You've th- These two existing games are already pretty good and already worth the money. But, I understand if people don't think that way, and I'm, I'm fine with that. But... That should be it. This was an episode of Stories from the Crisp Short. This was our 2018 Full Harvest uh, episode, I guess is what we're going to call it. Um, and I will put those two links in the video description of those videos from YouTube on the description uh, below this. Um, anyway, uh, I'm Jaws, and I will talk to you uh, some other time going forward. Hopefully a few episodes in uh, October, November, and December. Have yourself a good rest of the month, and have yourself, if you don't listen to this ever again, Again, good rest of your life, or if you don't listen to this for the rest of the 2018 uh, year, hey, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year's. Keep go- keep things good, and uh, yeah, we might have, <laughs> my hope was to have a live stream uh, going soon. That's going to be hard to do. Uh, I do have the camera to do it. I don't have the, t- the computer to do it, um, but Maybe we'll video this podcast uh, for that and put it up uh, a day or two later if there's some cool event that's worth like me and a few other guys getting together and live streaming us just or videoing us just being stupid and funny. Um, but that's about it. Have yourself a good time, people. Bye.